Last week we dealt with chapter 17 and 18. Now, next week, or from, you know, before next class, just finish reading the remainder of the chapters in Revelations only uh, 20, 21, and 22. Uh, next week we'll probably deal with 20. I don't know when we'll deal with 21. We'll see. But chapter 21 is quite an interesting chapter, but haven't they all been? For me, they have been, anyway. So let's begin in uh, verse 1. Now, when we start in verse 1 here, remember that chapter 17 and chapter 18 is the, was the basis for what we're, we're seeing here, the judgment of Babylon the Great. And we talked about that, and you know, we looked at that quite a bit last week. So you have the judgment of, of Babylon in verses 1. We'll actually continue down to verse uh, 2. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. Now when you see this, for true and righteous are his judgments, it's talking about what the Lord has just done in judging the harlot church and judging uh, the world system. True and righteous are your judgments, for he had ju judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. So in these two verses, and we'll just read verse 3, and again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. So there is this rejoicing for the judgment of God upon Babylon. Babylon, as God sees it, the world system, uh, the, the harlot church, has been something that God has tolerated from, from the beginning, for years and years and years and years, and that thing has continue to move in the world, you know, all the things that go on. And God finally is, is going to come in and he judges, he changes things, he answers the prayers of many people by judging Babylon. And some people, when he judges Babylon, they aren't too enthused about the way God answers prayer, just like today. People are not, are not necessarily too keen on God answering prayer. Now, they want God to answer prayer according to what they want. But remember, what's it say? That God will uh, answer prayer if it's prayed according to his will, Jesus said. So there's a big difference. I can pray all kinds of things. And I can get mad at God if he doesn't answer. Or God may answer in a way that I don't think it's even an answer. And I might not like it. So, you know, there's just... A thinking that you know God answers prayer and no matter what you pray is going to be answered. Well, that's not necessarily true. But anyway, the people, you know, and we talked about this also, that people say, even today, why doesn't God do and change what's going on in the world? Well, he's going to do that. And when he does, his judgment's going to come and it's going to change the whole course of man's life. Everything on earth is going to change. But anyway... I wanted to show you something here. Now, in 
verse 1 and verse 3, you, you see this praise, and then you get down in verse 6, and we'll just read verse 5 also. I may as well read them all. Let's just back up. <laughs> verse 4. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the, the voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as a voice of mighty thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now, there is a difference between the praise that you see in verse 1 and 2 and the praise that you see in verse 6. In verse 1, they're praising God for what he does or what he did. He judged Babylon the great whore. In verse 6, they are praising God for who he is, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. There is a vast difference between praising God for what he does and praising God for who he is. Now, of course, we as Christians, turn to Exodus 15, we as Christians do praise the Lord for what he does. He may do something very special for you. And that's good. You praise him for what he has done. But it is extremely important that what he has done leads us to praise him for who he is. Now, there are those who can praise him and thank God for what he, he does and may not necessarily thank him for who he is. An example of that is seen in, in Exodus 15. Now, the setting here for Exodus 15 is that God brings them through the Red Sea. Remember that the, they're trapped at the Red Sea, and the armies of Pharaoh are bearing down on the children of Israel. And you know the story. God parts the Red Sea. They come across on dry ground. And then the armies of, of Pharaoh come through, and they're destroyed. So when you begin here in chapter 15, verse 1, you are seeing them praising God here for what he has done. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto, unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and so on. But you know that in Psalms, it says that the children of Israel, they saw the acts or the miracles of God, but they did not know his ways. Whereas Moses saw the acts of, of God, and it says that Moses knew the ways of God. So that which God did here for the children of Israel personally was not just that they could thank him for what he did, as Moses did, but that there would be a follow-through, that there would be something within them, in their heart, that would cause them to move past what he has done for them and recognize that he is God, he is the God of my salvation, and, and actually praise him from the depths of our being for who he is. Now, it's nice to have God do things for us. Absolutely, it's great. 
But remember, he did more with the children of Israel. He did more miracles. He did more for them than probably any generation of all the Israelites, any generation, maybe any generation ever living. All these miracles he did daily, daily, daily in the wilderness. But yet, they never could get past what God did. And actually, they, after this, they didn't really even praise God. It didn't take too long before they weren't praising him. So that was a superficial thing. Praise can be very superficial. Praise can be something very good and, and deep. Praise can lead you into worship. Praise can draw you into a place where you, in your heart now, you can praise God for who he is, whether he answers your prayer or not. What a place to be. Now, God doesn't have to answer prayer. We know he does, but he doesn't have to. And there are times when certain things happen. Uh, and I say, Lord, you know, you see this, and I don't even worry about it. I only pray about it. You know, like you have the person that's there praying and saying, God, don't let it rain because I have to do this. I have to go here and I have to go there. And then you have the other person, and they're saying, Lord, please let it rain so it waters my garden. So now what's God going to do? He don't know what to do. See, now he's in the middle of all this stuff. So I don't even worry about it. You know, certain things you don't even really need to even pray about. Just, you know, let God be God and you rest in him and you praise him for who he is. Well, if it wouldn't have been for this, Lord, this wouldn't have happened. And I prayed and I asked you, forget it. Don't worry about it. See, praise him for who he is, not what he can do for you. And have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, if God does this and this and this, then I'll, you know, believe him and trust him and come to the Lord and all this other stuff. And then God, sometimes he even answers their prayer and they turn around and they go their own way after they get what they want anyway. So that's not the key, you know, Answering prayer is not the key. It isn't to be the key for you and I, for a Christian. See, we are to come to the place where, no matter what, we can praise him and trust him for who he is. Now, he says in, back in Revelation 19 here, he uses this phrase in verse 6, for the Lord God omnipotent reign. And the word Lord here means the one who has the power to decide. See, God is the one who has the power to decide, and he does. He makes decisions all the time. He makes a decision for this, to do this, not to do that, and that's just the way it is. Uh, it also means supreme in authority. And then omnipotent here means the one who's, who ha holds sway over all things. The ruler of all, he's all-powerful. And so there is this acknowledgement here from the heart that God is all-powerful, evidenced by the different judgments that have come upon men and upon the world, the world system, Babylon, etc. Now in verse 1, a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Verse 6, the voice of many waters as the voice of mighty thunderings say hallelujah. Comparing those two verses again, there is greater intensity in verse 6 here than there is in verse 1. 
And that is related to who God is. There is a greater intensity. See, when there is a recognition in our heart of who God is, and you say, well, I know who he is. He's, he reigns. He's in heaven. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a realization within us of who he is, the all-powerful God. When there is a realization there in our hearts, our praise will take on a greater intensity than it has taken on before. So whenever you first came to the Lord, you know, you don't, I didn't know anything about anything. I was about as dumb as a person could be as far as a Christian. I knew nothing. I mean, I knew what I was taught in the church I went, but found out a lot of that was wrong. So I didn't know too much of anything. And I praised the Lord and thanked him, but I didn't have much of a grasp of who he was. And that takes many times years of walking with him. And as you walk with him, you grow, you begin to see things, you see God answer prayer for you, do certain things for you. Then you move and break into another area where you begin to see God's ways. You see how he begins and how he's working certain things in your life related to you, maybe to others around you. And you start to see the hand of God and how he's moving. Now, whenever you begin to see some of these things, now you're going to, to move into something else in spirit where there is in you now a greater understanding, not with your head, but a heart understanding of God and who he is, and you're able to see him in a different way, a different light than you had before. And so now, because you have a different basis now in you, not, not that you're, I mean, you're still a Christian, but you have a different basis. That which God has built within you now becomes a basis for your praising him and seeing him in a different way. Now, in this chapter, verse nine, uh, chapter 19, this is a transition from the previous chapter where you see the great harlot, Babylon the Great, and you see the destruction of that system, the world system. Now we're moving in, and we're transitioning to another thing here. You're seeing uh, the marriage of the Lamb, and you're going to see the New Jerusalem in chapter uh, 21. So we're moving now away from the judgment of God, and we're, we're moving in, in, and even in, in chapter 19, you'll still see some more of the judgment of God toward the end. But there, there's a transition there now. He's moving into something different. Remember, God always moves from the negative to the positive. You can see scripture after scripture after scripture. And you just look at them, and you, you read the scriptures, and you can see the negative and the positive. And even in the whole scheme or realm of things, what's going on now in this world, uh, the evil in the world, I would call that a negative, even though God, remember, he can use the negative for positive, for good. But that evil system is going to be judged and taken out of the way, and God's going to, to move into something Newer, something different, uh, a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, something quite different, new bride. 
so in, in 19, you, you have this transition moving from one to another. And he's going to judge death. He's going to judge the false prophet and, and so on in this chapter also. Now, let's continue on. Verse 7. So let us be glad and rejoice. Well, that's nice. Let us be glad. Are you glad tonight? I hope you're glad. Now, the focus here is going to be on this union. This is where things are moving here. And, and from, now, I didn't check this out in chapter 20. I think chapter 20 is also is the remnants of judgment, where God's going to just continue to, to you know, bring everything, tie all the knots, so to speak, you know, and, and take all that stuff out of the way. But I, I think that from here on in chapter 19 and, and chapter 21 and chapter 22, dealing with this union, with the marriage, with that which God has prepared for those that are dedicated to him, those who have walked with him, those who have lived a life pleasing unto the Lord. So he says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. See, what the Lord has done, none of us can take any, pra any praise, none of us can take the honor, none of us can take the glory, because it has not been of us. What the Lord has done in your life personally, you cannot take the credit for that. There is no credit at all given to you or I for the work he has done within you. See, that came from Christ, has continued moving by his hand through your life, through your heart. So let's give, uh, be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him. Now he continues this, he says, for, give him honor for what? See, the Lord is at work today working on the church, trying to bring those who he can into this union. And so he says here, give honor for the marriage of the Lamb is come, the work of God, the work of his hand. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are his tillage. How many of you have gardens? You know how you get in there and you work the soil? You, you till and you turn the soil over and, and you add some manure for nutrients and all these good things. And Well, see, you are his tillage. You know, he works in you. He turns over your heart so it doesn't uh, become hard. He might decide you, you're lacking on nutrients spiritually, so he'll throw some manure in there. And he'll do what he needs to do to prepare your heart to change your heart, to bring you to a place where he can continue to plant in your heart and life and reap. There's always a planting and a reaping, a planting and a reaping, and there's a resting, just, just like we see in the, in the natural. And so it says here that, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now, in this verse, this phrase, hath made is an active voice verb. That means that the individual, that the individuals that comprise the, the wife, the bride, 
have actively been walking with God and allowing Him to do what He wants to do. That's, a, that's like I said, hath made is an active voice verb. It's not that you said, well, I'm just going to stand back and God will do what He's going to do and He'll take me to the marriage and I'll just live the way I want and I'll do what I want. No, you have to walk with Him you have to be, ple be pleasing unto the Lord. You have to move in the will of God. There's all kinds of There has to be a surrender in your heart and life. Um, all these different things. You know, what, whatever God brings to you personally and requires of you will be that which will help you to be ready to qualify in the place of being the wife. So he says that his wife hath made herself ready Quite a privilege, quite a privilege to allow this to, to happen. I mean, I guess the Lord could have, you know, chose not to redeem us. But, you know, we're, we're privileged. We have this tremendous salvation given to us by God. And he says, now, I want you to walk a certain way. I want you to move in my will and, and you know, whatever he, he's showing you. And he does these things to prepare the heart, to make the heart ready. Matthew 25 talks about the five foolish and the five um, wise virgins. And you see that five actually prepared their hearts. See, it, it's not about that that parable isn't about watchfulness, it's about preparation. So you had five foolish virgins that they just, you know, didn't move in, in the way that they should have. And when the, the trumpet sounded, you know, and they said, the Lord is coming, they wanted to go out to meet him. And they didn't have, it says oil, but they didn't have within them that which was sufficient enough to take them into the union. And so they want to take it and borrow it from those that had. And they say, well, we can't give it to you. It's just like the life of God that you have. You're walking with him. Another Christian wants to be disobedient. You can't give them of what you have in spirit to them. See, they have to walk. They have to move in the will of God to obtain certain things. And so they wanted the five wise to give them, but they couldn't give them. They said, you have to go purchase. And remember, we talked about, and we'll look at that verse in a little bit, um, in Revelation about buy of me gold, tried in the fire. You have to go buy. And so while they went, the five wise went in with the Lord, and the door was shut, it says. The door was shut. The same thought as you see in the ark when Noah and his family went into the ark, and the door was shut. And so the five came back and knocked, expecting now to be able to move into this union, and they were really taken back because it was too late. So the call goes out now to man now, here, on earth. All those that are Christians, get your life in order, Walk with him because he's preparing a bride now. And so you, you want to qualify in these things. So, you know, the bride here hath made herself ready. It's just didn't she just decide, well, I'm just going to show up the way I am. No, that's not happening. She made herself ready. Verse 8, 
And to her it was granted. It was given because uh, the bride cooperated with the Lord in this process of becoming or in this process of being made ready. There has to be a cooperation there. Now hold your place and go to Ephesians. Very familiar portion of scripture. Now there are Christians who don't believe this and you can't tell a lazy Christian that you have to walk with the Lord and you have to qualify for certain things. They don't want to hear that. But I'm sorry, there's just too many scriptures that point to this. And of course, we're just just touching on this tonight. Chapter 5, verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. Now he's talking about uh, the, uh, the church here. Remember the, the comparison that Paul is bringing up is between the husbands and wife and Christ and the church. So that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Might sanctify, those two English words are one Greek word and that Greek word, that verb, is a subjunctive mood verb, and that is the, the mood of possibility. It doesn't mean it's a sure thing. So the desire of the Lord, the working of God, is that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word. But you know that there are those who do not sit under the washing of water by the word. They will sit in a church, they will sit under the word for a while until they become offended. When something is said that they don't like, then they're going to go their own way. And they might not go to another church, they might just just go out and that's it, they're done. Because they just don't want to hear certain things. Uh, This church here should be full. We should have a church of about four or five hundred people. As many people as I've seen over the years come in and out of this church. Why don't people stay? I can tell you one of the main reasons is that there's nowhere to hide. You are going to hear the word of God, and that word of God, you might rejoice in that and love it at the beginning until it starts to break the rock in pieces, and then you're going to say, well, how can I get out of here? How can I leave? And you might not even, person might not even say that. But the first opportunity that comes up, they're gone. And they call it the will of God. I don't care what they call it. And that's between God and them, I know. But I've seen people leave here led by the Spirit. And I've seen many, many, many people leave because they could not handle the intensity of the Word of God preached. Well, does that mean we're not going to preach the Word of God? We're going to change the message? I don't care if there's two people. You know, you can't change the message because people don't like the message. Now, there's people that, churches that do that. But you, no, you come here, you're not going to get that. And the washing of the water is important because it is, in the setting here, it is a preparatory thing. That is why it says in Hebrews, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and much more so when you see that they approach, so that you may become prepared to meet the Lord. There are Christians who are not prepared to meet the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about the rapture. That applies too, but I'm talking about in this setting of the union. There are those who aren't. 
They have not allowed the Lord to have his way in their life. And, and you know you have the whole gamut when it comes to <coughs> gamut, gamut, whatever. Uh, when it comes to Christians, you have those that are walking with God, you have those that they walk with the Lord for a while and then they disappear. You know, they're out, where did they go? They're out of church for three, four months, eight months, ten months, and all of a sudden, boom, they pop back in. They're there for two, three weeks, four weeks, boom, they're gone again. And then you have those who are worldly. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he says, you are carnal, 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 worldly Christians. He says, I can't even just share certain things with you. I'm sharing the basic stuff with you because you're carnal. I have a lot to tell you, but I can't tell you. You, you can't hear it. And so you have the carnal Christians and the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, he will not marry flesh. He's not going to marry carnality. He is going to marry a bride who is prepared. Those who are moving in the flesh, walking in the flesh, who have decided to move out away from this washing of water by the word, will suffer the loss or will, will receive that which their heart has led them to. You know, the Lord is going to give them uh, what they went after. So he says here that he might, might, maybe, he might be able to sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water uh, by the word. Verse 27, what's the reason why Jesus wants to wash the Christian with the water of the word. Why? Why? Why is the word so difficult sometimes to sit under? Am I the only one that has ever found it difficult to sit under some of the word? No, I think not. I think that it becomes very difficult at times for people, and it's meant that way because God, as somebody told me, he said, you know why you have to teach? I said, why? I wanted to see what they had to say. He said, because you need to tribulate the people. <laughs> oh, thanks. I said, thanks. Well, you know. Well, you tribulated me when I was in Bible school. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to tribulate anybody. I'm just trying to rightly divide the word of truth. Why does God do this? Why does he put you under the word that is like that? Well, let's read, because this is going to give us our answer. And you have to remember this, please. Make a note here. Let the Lord burn it into your heart. Now, let's read verse 26 again. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself. See, that's the purpose. That's the purpose. He wants you under the word of God to get rid of things that shouldn't be in you, to get rid of your attitudes and all these different things that are of your old nature, that he might present you to him. And once again, those two English words, might present, or subjunctive mood, as a subjunctive mood verb means it's a verb of potentiality or possibility. It doesn't mean it's a sure thing. So as I'm seeing this, if the verb is what it, it says it is, 
I see that, that he might not be able to do this. He's not going to be able to do this with everyone. You can't live the way you want as a Christian. I don't mean you, you. I mean anyone. And, and say that, okay, I'm going to move into this union. Well, you might be surprised, and it's not going to be a good surprise, that he might present the church to him, to himself, a glorious church. What does that mean? Glorious means glory. Glory in you, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. To be a glorious church, we have to have the glory of God within us. So, what's it say in Romans here? I can find it real fast. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, so Paul endured sufferings, are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So Paul here had to endure the sufferings of certain things, and in the midst of suffering certain things, having his heart and life correct, walking with God in them, God begins to deposit his glory within. So the Lord here is saying that, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, a church that has had the glory of God put in them. See, not just somebody who goes their own way and makes all their own decisions, and when they're in some difficulty, they write God off and they do whatever they want, and they do everything they can to get out and all this other stuff. Instead of you know, being before God and walking with him and allowing him to do what, do what he wants to do, they want to take matters into their own hands. The children of Israel in the wilderness. You know, they've they got to, to complain and murmur. God, everything God did was wrong as far as they were concerned. You know, you don't know what you're doing. You brought us out here to kill us, to starve us, to, to, to um, kill us of thirst. You know, we'd rather take control of our own lives. It was better when we were back eating the leeks and garlic in Egypt. And, and that, that ring there from the Spirit, is heard today in people. Same thing. Oh, they're not wanting to go back to literal Egypt, but there is the draw of the world. Why? Because they are worldly Christians. They have not made the transition out of that to walk with God the way He wants them to walk with Him. And they are going to be in quite a pickle. Maybe you don't understand that. <laughs> they're going to, that's an old saying. They're going to be in quite a place when they find out that they are going to miss out on certain things. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot. Not having a spot. Why is there no spot? Because the Lord has worked with his spot remover. He has removed certain things from their hearts so that now there's no spot there. Or wrinkle. Or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. And that's another subjunctive mood verb, should be, that, it, that the church should be holy. Now, the, the, the ones that he takes to himself in the union will be, but he's talking generally the whole church. And he says it's possible, but it's not a guaranteed thing that they would be made holy and without blemish. What is the determining factor in a person or the church becoming holy and without blemish? Yes. Oh, very good. Give her a star. That's true. 
See, we always want to say it's all up to God. But it's not all up to God. God has everything under control. Well, he does. But he's given you a free will. Well, God has everything under control. And he won't let this thing hit the table. But I can. So my will plays quite a part in this whole thing. That is why he says that it's possible that they, they could be without holy without blemish, but it's not a guaranteed thing. It's, you know, God is working toward that end. He has done all that he can do. He's given us all that is needed, but still the will of man can block that and, and thwart, as Paul says, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. See, a Christian can frustrate or nullify the grace of God. The grace of God comes to them. Instead of receiving that and allowing it to work in their life, they reject it. They put the wall up. And we've all seen that with people. Maybe we've done it. The grace of God comes. Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I'm not putting any walls up. It's going to come and do what it's going to do. And of course, the grace of God is a very good thing. So, what is the purpose behind the washing of water by the word? Somebody better be able to answer that after I just spoke about it for 15 minutes. I'll take us with him. Present it. Pre yeah, okay, that's what you meant, I know. Present to himself a glorious church. Okay, back in chapter 19. Still in verse 8 here. And to her was granted, given. See, the reason why it was granted and given is because... She has qualified. You know, she has been under the processes of God to draw her and bring her along. That's why it's given. It's not given to her because she's in, in a, carnal, a carnal bride, a carnal Christian. No, it's granted to her because she is qualified. That she should be arrayed in fine linen. Now this here, maybe I should not go into all these Greek words. Okay that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now, the fine linen here, I looked this up. The root word, now you, you know about languages, right? You have a root word, and sometimes from the root word you have a derivative of that word. And then you have other words where you have a combination of two words, just like in English. Some, sometimes there's a root word there, and other times there's just two combination of two derivatives. I looked at the root, the root word here for this fine linen means to bleach white, which I thought was very, very interesting. Bleached white. Nothing there. No spot. Like we're seeing in, in Ephesians, no spot. So, you know, completely bleached. Um, and it, it seems to me, just like in English, you have... Um, words that we've taken, Greek words, and they're word for word of, of the Greek, letter for letter, I should say, they're the same in English, even though there's two different languages. Uh, and one of them is, um, geez, I, I can't remember, I, wanted, I should have got an example for you, um, metamorphosis, or metamorphosis. That is a Greek word, letter for letter. See, we took that word and incorporated that into English, even though, you know, we don't speak Greek. That's a, that's actually a Greek word. 
incorporated into the language. Now, this word here, fine linen, seems to me, as I was looking at this, is the same word in Hebrew and in Greek. And I want to just give you a couple examples of this. Look in 2 Chronicles. Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Do you find it? Now, this is when uh, Solomon uh, is going to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord has instructed him to, you know, do certain things. And, and in verse 14, it says here, And he made the veil of blue and purple and crimson and fine linen, and wrought cherubims thereon. Now the veil, this is talking about the veil, the veil was that which divided the holy place with the holy of holies. The veil uh, was that which separated, or put it this way, Behind the veil is where the presence of the Lord was. See, the fine linen, behind the fine linen is where the presence of the Lord is. You're seeing this. And in uh, chapter 5, verse 12, so, so that's dealing with the veil. And then in this verse, also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun and their sons and their brethren being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps. So the Levites were arrayed or dressed in white linen. Another example in the Old Testament. And then you don't have to turn there, but this is um, in Esther dealing with Mordecai. And I guess all of you have studied or read the book. Remember um, Haman went and he tried to get the Jews, all the Jews, um, killed. And the Lord intervened through Esther, and afterward, uh, Mordecai comes in, and the king gives Mordecai, if I'm, I'm pretty sure this is right, he gives Mordecai the, um, the, the, the home and the you know, all, all that which Haman had. And this verse is, and Mordecai went out of the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, and with a crown, a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple. So he, he went out from the king's presence with fine linen. So he was given fine linen here to show that he was in right standing with the king. That's why he was wearing that. See, the Christian will have fine linen because they are in right standing with the king. Now back in Revelation 19. So it was granted unto her that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Clean and white refers to cleansing. It refers to purity. It refers to washing. See, because of the, of the preparation of the heart, this linen was given. Okay? Because of what has gone on within and, and how that has been manifested, the linen was given. Not because she just arrived at this place all of a sudden. Uh, she just didn't come in and that's it. No, she had to qualify. And this same thinking is seen in the Song of Solomon between the, um, you know, the, the comparison there. It's a comparison between the Lord and 
uh, his betrothed. And whenever you move through the book of Song of Solomon, I think it's like chapter 5, because of all the things that the Lord has done in her life, and you see that throughout the first three or four chapters, now because she is qualified, the Lord has worked in her. Certain things have gone, certain things are brought in. Um, she's moving in a different type of relationship than before. And she's brought into the marriage hall. See, she just doesn't walk in and say, okay, here I am, I'm in the marriage hall. She had to go through a process. And whenever my uh, now son-in-law and daughter were seeing each other, of course, I had taught this a while back. And it was very beneficial for me because I could see different things that were going on. And I could see a process there. See, the Lord wants the Christian to be in certain processes. He'll, he'll work in your situation, your, your circumstance, to refine, to do all these things that maybe apart from your circumstance would never be done in your life. Never. See, we want to get out of everything. The Lord wants to put us in things. We want to take a hike. The Lord wants to, you know, tie us down. He wants us in certain things for a certain period of time so that he can work in certain ways that apart, please listen to this, apart from the circumstance, they would not be done. There are certain circumstances that we will encounter in our Christian walk that will be the opportunity of a lifetime. <clears throat> there were certain, <coughs> excuse me, there were certain things that I experienced and went through uh, years ago, and I thought, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Then he showed me. He started to show me. And this was, as far as I could see, certain things I would be able to glean in those situations that if I was not in them and, and didn't feel the pressure of them, there would never have been a change in my life in certain, certain areas. So don't be all in a hurry to get out of what you're in because when you get out of what you're in, remember, you're going to go into something else. What's the old saying about the frying pan and the fire? Say, well, I want to get out of the frying pan so bad, and I don't really care when you jump right in the fire, see. But the point's this, that be patient and wait because the Lord wants to work and do certain things. And when you get out of this, oh, it's not going to be too long. It might be, you know, six months, a year, two years, however long. You'll find yourself in something else. You'll say, well, huh. it might have been better back there. Oh, no, it could never have been better back there. See, we say that when we're in it. Nothing could be worse than this until you get into something worse. This person's the worst person I ever had to work with. They left, and the next person to come is ten times worse than them. So how could that possibly be? I thought they were the worst possible. Well, it's because we don't know everything. We don't see everything. So just don't worry about it. Just rest in the Lord and say, okay, this is my life, and this is it. And have a good time. Enjoy it. And look for the Lord in it. Look for the Lord in it, because the Lord wants to work in your heart and life. This is so important. You know, I don't know why people don't teach this stuff. I don't know. That's beside, I don't understand it. It's so clear in the Gospels. 
in, in, in the Bible. But they don't want to teach some of it. I don't know. I guess so. Whatever. Okay. Now, he says here in verse 8 uh, that it was granted unto her that she should be arrayed in fine linen. Now, my question was, uh, can the Christian arrive without fine linen? Or can they ar arrive naked? That's an interesting question, huh? Well, they're, ha they're being dressed in fine linen. Well, is it possible that a person can arrive and not have any fine linen? Just a real quick verse. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. Now, I like reading the Bible because if I stick close to the Bible and I read the Bible and I read what Jesus said, that gets me off the hook because people can't say, well, Lou, he said this and he said that. Well, you, I, I'm just saying what Jesus said. Now, I'm going to tell you and read to you what Jesus said. And if you have a problem with that, you take it up with him. Don't take it up with me. Verse 18 of chapter 3. This is the church of Laodicea. We went through this. Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment. There's the white raiment. He's, he's telling this pastor that he needs to purchase white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Now, that's what Jesus said. So it's obvious that the person, if they don't take the advice, they don't buy of him gold tried in the fire, that not only will they not have a white, white raiment to wear, but the shame of their nakedness may be uh, there, may, may appear. And not just then. You know, I believe the Lord's speaking about later, too. So it is quite possible, as I see that, that a person can be naked and not have the garment that they should have. Now, it's not going to be an embarrassing kind of naked. It's just going to be a naked where you, you have not prepared your heart. You have not prepared your life so that you can move into this union. That's what he's talking about, I believe. And the reason why I said the pastor here is because when he says repent here, it's in the singular form. So he must be talking... I think, to one person at this point. Of course, that would apply to all the other people also and you know, the church and us. But in particular, he was dealing with the pastor. And he says this, you know, you need to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you would not be naked, that the shame of your nakedness doesn't appear. So this word here, appear, um, let me see here, doth not appear. That's a subjunctive mood verb also. So there's the possibility that he would not appear naked. You know, if he takes the Lord's advice and buys of him gold tried in the fire, then, then that there, you know, will not be what happens. So it, won't, it just won't, won't be there anymore. It'll be out of the picture. Verse 8 again. Oh, we're back in chapter 19. <coughs> that she should be arrayed. That's possible. It's possible. In fine linen, 
That's a subjunctive mood verb again, that she should or should be arrayed. Um, and, and by the way, the, another Greek form, there's, there's a tense, a voice, and a mood for the verbs. This is a subjunctive mood. But the voice is what they call middle voice, and that means that the individual that's, that they're, they're talking about in, in the sentence does this for their own good and their own benefit. So being arrayed is something that you would do for your own benefit. In other words, you would have to, to um, make yourself ready to be arrayed. You do that for your own benefit, not for the benefit of somebody else. You do it for your own benefit because you're the only one that can do that. That you would be arrayed in, in fine linen. Um, now, let's hold our place here and go to Matthew 7. This is a, a portion of Scripture. There, there are certain portions of Scripture that people take and they apply it in a certain way. And, of course, whenever I apply it this way, they say I'm wrong. And, and you know, when they apply it the way they apply it, I believe they're wrong. So, you know... Everybody has their own thing, I guess. But what's the Lord saying? I like to get down to the words and see what's going on here. Remember, you need to see to actually be able to understand what the Scripture is saying. You're not just reading it. There are people that read it and even study it. But without the spirit of wisdom and revelation, unless the Lord comes and really opens a person's eyes and reveals something to them, they won't see it. You can tell them about certain things in the Bible, and they'll never believe it because they don't see it. And they don't see it sometimes because of where they're walking or, or maybe because of what they've been taught before. They can't put that aside whenever they go to the Scriptures and just read it. Do you know that? The people can't re just read the Bible sometimes. Sometimes it's as clear as the nose on your face, something, and you show somebody something, and they say, well, I don't see that. How can you not see that? Not everybody can see. Not all Christians can see um, in, in more of an in-depth way. You now, people can see the stories, and, you know, the surface thing. But Jesus wasn't telling stories to tell stories. You know, oh, you go to Sunday school and, oh, I heard that story 10 times, 15 times. It's not about the story. Are you catching something in your spirit here? I know when they're little tykes, you tell them the story. But as they grow, there's, there's more than the story. Matthew 7, verse 23. Now, let's just move up a couple verses um, to get the, set, the setting here. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not talking about being saved. Being saved and entering into the kingdom are not necessarily the same thing. Now, we always think they are. People always think they'll lump everything together. When my wife makes a salad, I don't say the cucumbers and the, the tomatoes and the olives are all the same thing. They're different. They're all a salad, yes. But the cucumber's a cucumber. The tomato's the tomato. Celery, celery. But Christians want to make everything the same. And, you know, it's not. But anyway, he's talking about entering into the kingdom, moving further in. Uh, to the kingdom. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So you're not going to make progress in the kingdom. See, 
there are certain kingdom principles that must be followed, that you must move in to move further in the kingdom. I'm not talking about heaven. Forget about heaven. It's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is with you. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is a lot of different things. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? What did Jesus say? Remember when the, the, his apostles came to him and they said, Lord, that person is casting out devils. He said, should we go stop them? And Jesus said, no, no, you can't, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. They can't be uh, of the devil and cast out devils. So, so they're saying here, did we not prophesy in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils? Well, I don't know too many people that aren't Christians that can cast out devils. I don't know too many people that can cast many devils out anyway, but, you know, a, a person who's filled with the world and filled with uh, the spirit of disobedience, you know, if he's filled with um, evil, the evil of the world and the spirits of the world, how are they going to cast out the devil? They're not going to want to cast out the devil. So it seems to me that he's talking about those who are Christians. They prophesied, they cast out devils. And in thy name, see, they used his name, hath done many wonderful works. You remember in Acts they wanted to use the name of Jesus to cast out the demons. And they, the, one guy, the one person did that, and the guy with the demons jumped on him and beat him up and what have you. So that doesn't work either. So here in this context, I believe he's talking about Christians. He says, they said, in, in, in thy name have done many wonderful works. Verse 23, and then I will profess, I'm going to declare to them, I'm going to show them something that they thought, you know, thought things were this way, but they weren't that way. Now I'm going to tell them this is the way it's been and this is the way it is. But they just didn't see it. I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. No, it doesn't mean that they weren't saved. It means that he didn't know them in a certain way. See, you can do this and say, I'm going to do this for God and this for God and that for God. But what about the will of God? What about what God wants you to do? See, that's what's important. There are people that go around and they do all these great things for God. And God's saying, I never asked you to do that. See, God didn't ask me to pastor. God didn't ask me to go you know, to China. Well, he might someday, but he never asked me to do certain things. I could just decide, well, hey, I'm going to go over there. Now I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And, and the Lord's there, you did all these wonderful works in my name, but I didn't know you in them. It's not that I didn't know you. I never knew you. You're, there you are, you're out there, and you're doing all these things, and you never come into this close relationship with me that you should have to know what it is I want you to do. So he says, I never knew you depart from me. Now listen to this, ye that work. See, that you... You are the one that did that. You are the one that worked that. Depart from me. Ye that work, the King James says iniquity. But the actual word means lawlessness. It's not talking about iniquity as far as evil and sin. It's talking about lawlessness. In other words, they're not 
abiding, not in the Mosaic law, it's talking about the law of the Lord, what he has come and shown you, what he wants you to do, you have been lawless. So the law of the Lord comes and he says, okay, this is what you need to do, and this is how he's leading you, and you go do something else. Well, you're lawless. It's not that you're not saved. It's not that you don't, you know, know the Lord. It's no, it's, you're, you're lawless. You are not moving with him. He, he has the law of the Lord is perfect. He, he sends that to your life. What does it say in Matthew 4? It says a lot. Oh, wow. Man does not live, somebody finished the verse. Man does not live by bread alone. But, okay. Now, man does not, I'll give this to you in the Greek. You might want to write this down. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that is presently proceeding out of the mouth of God. That's a present participle. So you don't live, listen to this, you don't live by the Bible. Do you know that? That's what Jesus said. Now take it up with him. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that is presently, presently proceeding. So the burden of responsibility for me as a Christian is to hear the Lord let him communicate to me now and show me what it is I am to live by presently. And he'll, he'll show you this week, next week, whenever, when you need to know. You live by every word that is presently proceeding out of the mouth of God. These people in Matthew 7 that he's talking about, he says, you didn't. You lived by what you thought. You went and did all these mighty, wonderful works and cast out devils and prophesied and all this. And he says, I wasn't even in that. I mean, I have people that'll do that, but that wasn't supposed to be what you were doing. Oh, well, I never knew you depart from me. You who are lawless, you are not moving under what is presently proceeding out of the mouth of God to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, there are people who don't believe that. No, but that's okay. I don't really care if people believe you know, the Bible or not. I don't care if Christians don't believe the Bible or they think something else. That's fine. I know what I see and I know what I believe the Lord is saying, so I live by what he's showing me. Everybody doesn't know that, though. Some people think or say that God says. Oh, and, yeah. And so it, it stands against him then. He doesn't know the word. Well, it's... See, there is a deception in the world. There's the deception of Satan, okay? There is also the deception of the heart of man, and our hearts can deceive us. So I'm, I'm sitting here under the Word of God. Now, I've sat out there. You know that, right? Okay. Sitting here under the Word of God, and it's like, bam, the hammer's hitting me. I don't know what's going on. Now, you know all of a sudden, I think, you know what? I think the Lord wants me to go to some other church. There's another church down the road. They're a good church, you know. 
and I can talk myself into moving in a different way, a different thing, or I think the Lord wants me to do such and such. Well, you have to be very careful because that may not be proceeding out of the mouth of God. That may be proceeding out of your thoughts. The Lord, if he wants to move a person, he makes it clear most of the time. Not always, but many times he makes it very clear. So, you, you, you know, do you want something in God? That's the question. See, if you want to develop, you want something of God in you that he can take out and feed the multitudes, then you've got to pay a price. You're not going to go to the discount rack, the sale rack, and get that. People like the sale racks. Well, I like the sale racks, too, in the store. But when it comes to the things of God, you have to go by what is proceeding out of the mouth of God for you. That's what you are to live by. Not by bread alone, not by what you think, not by where you think you should go, but by what is presently proceeding out of the mouth of God to you. Very simple. It's not hard. You might have to fasten the seatbelt and tighten a little. You know, sometimes I think that these, these chairs here should have seatbelts on them. <laughs> you get in there and you tighten it down and say, I'm not moving. We should, we, you know what? That would be great. Putting seatbelts in the church. We'd be the only church in the, in the world with seatbelts. <laughs> that would be on the news for sure. And next month we're putting shoulder harnesses in. <laughs> and we might even just move on to airbags. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but you know, we laugh about it, but you know, there are those that cannot handle the teaching and preaching of the word. They can only handle so much of that. And you know, you can't you have to get out of this negative thinking that God's trying to beat me down, God doesn't care, everything is negative, negative, negative. It, it is not. It is not. And the work that he wants to do in our life is going to take quite a bit. I want to tell you what. Someday, someday, when we get on the other side, we're going to sit down and we're going to say, wow, look what the Lord has done. It was worth it. It was worth it. So, so don't, don't just go and do. Just wait. Now, I remember years ago, I had this desire first to go to Bible school, and the Lord would not let me go. Nothing ever turned out right with that. I had a, a desire to get out and start to do things for the Lord, and the Lord had me just sit. It was just sit under the Word constantly. And I can't remember. It, it had to be like 20 years, 15, 20 years. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I think, well, Lord, what in the world? What are you doing? But, you know, to have something of God, it's some, you're not going to get it in a year. It's going to take a while. You want something of value? It's going to take a while. You can't just go do what you want to do. Now, there are those who go in and out. The Lord puts them out, you know, in a church, not a church, or pastoring a church, or, you know, in, in the mission field. I mean, that's fine. God continues the process there. But in a lot of cases, in particular here, there have been many, many people who have come into the church and have left for bogus re reasons. And I say bogus. And that's 
that's between them and the Lord. I mean, I'm not condemning anybody, but I'm just stating the fact. That's what happens. And it's not easy to sit in a place where, how does, how does some of the people say it? You're getting hammered? <laughs> but what, it says that in Jeremiah. Is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And that rock is our hard heart sometimes. I think it's Jeremiah. Back in Revelation, still in verse 8. So he goes on, he says that they should, she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, I think what we're going to do is just stop there tonight, and we're going to continue from verse 9, and we'll finish the rest of the chapter, and then we'll go into chapter 20 also and look at some things there. Now remember to read chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22, okay, this week. And uh, so you'll be ready for the next couple, couple of classes. Okay.